This is the founding story of Kubernetes and Heptio from Kubernetes co-founder Joe Vida. For those who don't know, so like I was one of the founders of Kubernetes, there were three of us. And uh, previous to that, uh, we had started Google Compute Engine. And, you know, from just, a, you know, not even thinking about open source, part of our goal there was how do we, you know, like how do you enter a mature market, right? So like, you know, at this point, Google was very much an underdog compared to the likes of, of AWS. And, you know, we definitely felt having a VM service and, you know, all the sort of basics of cloud was necessary, but not sufficient. And so what is the thing that would get us to the next step? And along the way, you know, we had a different way of developing software inside of Google based on containerization over 10 years. And like, you know, Google was actually did a lot of the work to get C groups technology into the kernel, into the Linux kernel. And so Kubernetes was a way to actually sort of, you know, in some ways really shake the snow globe to reset the way people think, thought about deploying and managing applications in a way that was really gonna be, you know, uh, help to, to, to sort of reset and level the playing field so that we had something that we could compete upon. Um, and this was happening at the same time that, you know, Docker was just getting going. And so there was, um, you know, at that point, Docker was very much focused on sort of a single node experience. And we understood mm -hmm. the power of viewing, you know, things as a cluster through, through, uh, through the experience with Borg. And so we're like, hey, let's start a project to go ahead and do that. And then the next decision was, how do we go about doing that? And, you know, the feeling at the time was that, you know, if we just came out with yet another cloud service that was only available on GCP, nobody was going to give a crap, right? I mean, it's like when you're like a small person doing something new and you're trying to sort of disrupt in that level, the value there was in the disruption, not in terms of, of, of the, the product at the time. And so that really greased the skids in terms of, of going open source with Kubernetes because our goal there was to really try and sort of like break people away from the, the, the view that VMs were the, the, the unit of deployment into something different that really gave us a lot of opportunity to compete. Joe, I'd love to understand. So you release it open source. What was the expectation versus the reality? Like what was the expected reception versus how fast it, it just got adopted? I think, you know, we were all kind of blown away by it, to be honest. I think, you know, when you do things like this, you know, you have this feeling of like, hey, this could be huge. But, you know, you have that feeling every other week when you're like in the thick of it and when you're trying to do new things. And so it was, I think we were all surprised when, you know, we started seeing traction, we started seeing people get involved. And, and, you know, and part of this is that I think when you, when you release open source, especially when you want to build a great contributor community, you need to release it early enough in an raw enough form that people feel like they can get involved and influence the direction. And I think a big part of open source is that your communities, whether we're talking user community or or contributing community, they feel a sense of ownership. I mean, this is like all good brands, right? People, when they buy Nike or Apple products or you know whatever their car brand is, they feel a sense of, of ownership over that brand. It becomes part of their identity. And I think the same thing happens with open source. And so engaging with people early is a critical piece of that puzzle of creating that sense of ownership that starts the flywheels that start communities building. Uh, but we were still blown away. I don't think any of us Kubernetes to take the trajectory that it did. And, um, and I think people inside of Google were, were really surprised also. I think, you know, to some degree, you know, before we released it, there was a certain amount of like, yeah, I don't quite get this thing. Let's see what happens. And then afterwards, it was clear that something was happening there. And, uh, 
and we definitely were, were, you know, changing things up and shaking that snow globe just like we wanted to. And I think a key part of that was, you know, beyond, you know, releasing it early, it was also finding some um, partners to actually go in with us out the gate. So like for us early on, we partner with Red Hat um, and they were involved super early. And that I think also helped to actually seed the effort as something that was more than just a single company putting something out there. But like we truly wanted it to be uh, an open community from the get-go. And I think putting some initial down payments there made a, made a big difference. I'm curious how you navigate from an open source project, because we're talking Kubernetes was such a, a big sort of instrumental project for everyone. The whole IT space was truly shaken by, by this project overall. Uh, and you've probably seen the amazing growth yourself in Google, right? And then at the point you really started to raise, uh, start a company, I'm sure there's lots of lots of conversations in between, lots and lots of considerations and probably difficulties, right? Uh, We'll have to learn more of how much you can share about like what was the hard parts of starting a company at that time at Google, right? I mean, so I, um, you know, a little bit after we went public with Kubernetes, I was honestly a little burned out. And so I, you know, took a leave from, from Google and was having so much fun goofing off and still staying like this was part of the fun of open sources. I could still keep, you know, involved to some degree, but, you know, spending time with the family and, and really decompressing. And then, you know, three months in my leave was up and I'm like, hey, I'm having fun. Can we keep doing this? And Google's like, no. And so I'm like, all right, I quit. And so I left Google without much of a, a plan in terms of what I was going to do next. And I wasn't sure that it was going to be around Kubernetes. I think, you know, it was one of those things where I didn't want to, you know, and I think maybe I'm odd in this way, but it's my background of being at large companies. I didn't want to start a startup without an inkling around what the monetization and, you know, and the go-to-market was going to be around it. And so I kind of dragged my feet in terms of, of wanting to start a company. Now, along the way, I did a little bit of consulting around the Kubernetes world. And I um, and then I eventually signed on as being an, uh, an entrepreneur in residence with, with Excel. And I did that for about a year. And, uh, uh, and, and Ping, the partner that I was working with there, really wanted me to do a Kubernetes company. But I was like, I don't know if I really wanna do that. But eventually, like, you know, I explored a ton of other ideas. And, you know, and uh, uh, decided that, you know, Kubernetes kept growing and the opportunity kept getting larger and it seemed silly to, to ignore it. Along the way, Craig McLucky, who was one of the other, you know, one of the other co-founders of, of Kubernetes, uh, was ready to, to start Heptio with me. And so that's really like, we're like, hey, this thing is clearly taking off. And we still saw a gap in terms of what does it take to make this thing really work for enterprises? How do we bridge that gap between this cool technology from the future for a lot of folks to something that people could actually, you know, wrap their arms around and use. And that was generally the thesis that we started Heptio with and what we, what we got going with. But, you know, it was just a matter of me being in the right space and, you know, finding the right people and, and uh, getting ready to really, really tackle it. Because, you know, anybody who's done it, a startup is a, it's a big commitment and it's a journey and you don't, you don't do those things lightly. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta be prepared for that marathon. Yeah. And one of the hardest parts about um, starting a company when you're going to have some sort of open source component is trying to figure out the monetization model because it's so sensitive and you can very easily um, like kibosh one side of the business by trying to grow another. So did you, decide on what the monetization model was going to be before you went full like headfirst into Heptio? 
Yeah, we had some really good theories in terms of what we wanted to do. And I, I think um, there's a lot of you know, different ways to look at monetization. But at this point, Kubernetes was in the CNCF. It was a fairly mature product. So it was what it was. And I think you know, we were looking at it going like, well, you know, we could sell support and do sort of the traditional distribution type of thing. We could, um, you know, do consultancy around it. And there's a lot of folks who've sort of gone down that path. Our view on it was that Kubernetes is the, the, the sort of core to an ecosystem. And there was going to be a ton of opportunity actually building up and around that ecosystem. So we weren't as interested about selling a distribution. Uh, as we were about like, well, what are the missing parts, right? If we view Kubernetes as the distributed kernel, there's the user mode on top of that, right? That there's all the things that you need along with Kubernetes to really make this thing work for folks. And so that's really where we focus in some of our early efforts around, uh, uh, around open source projects, things like Sonoboy and, and Arc, which became Valero, uh, were efforts to really fill in those gaps but then our, our strategy then also was that those are open source projects, but we can provide an extra layer of features through SaaS, through commercial offerings, right? And I think that very much of like, how do you create products, projects that have utility by themselves, but there's a lot of opportunity to add enhanced features via SaaS, via, you know, other commercial offerings. And that's the pattern that, you know, I think is still a very, very healthy way to engage honestly with open source communities, be true to them, provide that value, yet also provide space for you to actually, you know, build on top of that and do more things. Now, along the way, you know, we did do uh, quite a bit of consulting and we had a consulting arm for Heptio. A couple of reasons there were, you know, we all think that we know developers because we're developers, but the truth of the matter is, is that my experience, you know, before, you know, before Heptio, I worked at Google for like 10 years and I worked at Microsoft for seven or eight years. That doesn't really prepare me to really understand what the life of a developer, you know, or an IT professional in a mainstream enterprise is. It's a very different experience. And so a lot of our early consulting efforts was just building those instincts and that feeling of where are the real problems in this space. And so, you know, as long as you're doing customer research, you might as well have somebody pay you for it. And that was kind of a little bit of the, the thinking behind the consultancy. The other big advantage of the consultancy is that, you know, when you're a tiny company trying to, to attack an enterprise market, you know, it's all about the logo slide, right? Who do you have as customers? You know, because I think people generally, they're like, well, if so-and-so trusts them, then I'm going to trust them also. And if you're doing training, if you're doing consulting, you have a logo that you can put on a slide and then you can parlay that into then selling product, right? And so I think it's a way to actually start to build those relationships and then bootstrap that up into sort of a more traditional enterprise type of sales model. Hatio was started in 2016 and acquired in 2018 for $550 million, which is a pretty nice exit, probably making Joe about $100 million. It's hard to get too upset over a $100 million outcome, but it's a bit surprising that Heptio did not have more of an impact over the Kubernetes ecosystem. And it's an interesting study. 